Hey, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to have you all here with us this morning. Um, I want to thank you guys for making time in your busy schedules to join us today. We really understand that we all have busy lives, and so we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy lives to be with us today. Um, I hope that you've all had good times of gratitude this past week, but that you're sufficiently recovered from your turkey comas so that you're able to listen and not fall asleep. Okay, Brad's going to fall asleep. Fine. I won't take it personally. Go ahead, take a nap. Um, I want to just briefly remind you of a few things that we've got going on that we have coming up in the next few weeks so that you can be aware. Next Sunday morning, December 3rd, is our annual Children's Christmas Program. Now, yeah, go ahead. It'll be a great time. This is a time that we look forward to every year as our children um, get to present the message and story of Christmas that day in a very unique way, and I can promise you that you won't want to miss it. Um, There's a certain tall head usher that plays a key role in it. I might be related to him. Um, Trust me, you don't want to miss it. Then, the following Sunday, we are going to begin a new series called The Ghosts of Christmas Past. Ooh, yes, ooh, We know that Christmas can be an extremely hard time for some people, whether it's overcoming offenses, shame, labels. Many of us have um, ghosts in our past that tend to make Christmas anything but joyful. This is going to be a series that is going to address those issues and hopefully help people to heal and understand the true importance of Christmas. So why am I telling you this? please be inviting people so that they can join us and experience this. It's going to be a wonderful time of Advent at Joliet First this year. So now, before we jump into today's topic, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this place. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather with others together and to be in your presence today. We ask that you would use this time of teaching to touch our hearts and to change our minds and help us to be more like you. Give us hearts and ears that are open to listen and to respond. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have you ever had one of those days where you are just done? (laughs) See, I knew, can I get a witness? I knew it wouldn't just be me, I hope. One of those days when it seems like everything and everyone is lining up against you to make you frustrated and angry. No, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, 
Once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away, no, um, once upon a time last Sunday, actually, there was a certain pastor who had this problem. The sanctuary computer started installing updates and didn't get back up and running again until 1025, and I, I mean she, uh, needed to do some stuff on it before the service. I, I mean she was dealing with people issues and other things that were going on, and she, okay, we all know that I'm talking about me here, um, I even snapped at someone for something that was completely outside of their control. By the time that I got home from church and finished some other work that I needed to do, I just wanted to sit on the couch and watch a Hallmark Christmas movie. Yes, I am one of those. Yes, thank you very much. Watch, one of, watch a Hallmark Christmas movie and drink a cup of coffee and shut out the world. But alas, this dream scenario was not to be. Instead, I began to field calls and texts about something else. My frustration level began to increase, and my fr- responses began to display my frustration. In fact, during one phone call, my husband even asked, are the kids being bad or something because you seem really frustrated? And I was like, no, I'm just tired. And he's like, okay. So when I thought about it more on Monday as I was um, sending an apology to the person who I had snapped at, um, I <laughs> it all of a sudden came to me, what I really needed that day was an attitude adjustment. That's all I really needed, an attitude adjustment. Yes, even pastors have this problem from time to time, or at least this pastor does. So all of this <laughs> is to say that I'm speaking to myself as much this morning as I'm speaking to any of you. So how many of you have ever used this phrase? They have a major attitude problem. Thank you, thank you for being honest. Or she needs an attitude adjustment. Um, I've actually lost track of the amount of times that I've had to say, hey, adjust your attitude, please, to either one or both of my children. In fact, I almost said it this morning. It was this close, but I restrained myself. Often, though, I think it's our own attitudes that need an adjustment or even a complete change. The Word of God actually has quite a bit to say about our attitudes and the kind of attitude that followers of Christ should have. Today, I want to highlight some key words from the Apostle Paul. Now, here was someone who, before he became a follower of Jesus, was probably described by believers as having a major attitude problem. He actually traveled throughout Palestine, persecuting the followers of Christ. Then, one day, as he was traveling, he had an encounter with Jesus that forever changed who he was. In fact, he actually went from persecutor of Christians to a missionary, He started several churches and wrote letters to them to continue to instruct them on how to live lives that reflected the image of God. The letter that we're going to be reading from today was written to the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a large city in um, Asia Minor, what we would today call Turkey, and it was actually referred to as the mother city of Asia. 
it was it had a temple to the god Artemis, who was um, the Roman goddess Diana, and that temple was actually considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, and that goddess pervaded every part of Ephesian life. Her image was everywhere. It was on the coins. It was just everywhere throughout the city. And the city celebrated festivals and, um, what other things? Games, festivals and games in her honor. So it's no wonder that Paul needed to remind the believers in Ephesus and the surrounding region how to live their lives as believers and how to live in community with one another because that culture was so vastly different from the culture that they were living in and surrounded by. So from this, we can learn how to have an attitude adjustment. So I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4 today. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." So the first thing that we need to learn is that changing our attitude requires changing our mind. Changing our attitude requires changing our mind. Paul says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now, when Paul uses the word Gentiles here, he is not, I mean, he is referring to those who are not Jews, but more so, he is referring to those who are unbelievers. He is writing to those who are predominantly Gentiles, so he reminds them that they should no longer be thinking the way they used to think. Now, note that he describes their thinking as futile. In other words, get this, this is what futile means. Their thinking is pointless, foolish, and incapable of producing any useful results. Now, it can be a common misconception today that those who are followers of Christ aren't really deep thinkers and tend to, and that uh, to follow Jesus means that we're going to give up on all rational thought and philosophical thinking. And in contrast, Paul is showing us that when we were unbelievers, our minds were incapable of producing any useful results. Ouch. (laughs) Man. On the other hand, this is no longer how our minds should work now that we are followers of Christ. When we become followers, we should learn and be taught how a believer thinks and acts. In other words... 
Changing our attitude requires instruction. Please note that Paul doesn't assume that people are automatically going to know what to do when they become Christ followers. He says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Paul didn't assume that new followers were going to know how to act by osmosis. No, someone taught them. If you are here today and you are new to following Christ and you're wondering what you need to do, you're not supposed to know that automatically. You need to be taught. You need to be mentored. So, um, we need those. Oh, I lost my place. I'm so sorry. You need to be mentored. We don't expect you to know how to live or what to do automatically. We expect someone to teach you. And so if you need that, if you're sitting there and you're wondering, what, what do I do? How do I, how do I live this life now that I'm a follower of Jesus? I've got a good answer for you. We have one-to-one mentoring. Sign up for one-to-one mentoring, and we can connect you with someone who has been following Jesus for a little bit longer and can help you along that walk as you grow. Now, if you are within the sound of my voice right now, and I know all of you are, and you have been the follower of Jesus for a while, this does not get you off the hook. Okay? We need you to be mentors. We have been praying for 50 new followers this year, and we can't bring them into a relationship with Jesus and then leave them to flounder on their own. We need to teach them what a strong, growing, vital relationship with Jesus looks like. Your pastors cannot do this ourselves. There are three of us. There are more than three of you. We cannot mentor every new believer in the church. We need you, the mature followers of Christ, to step up to the plate and take on mentoring relationships. This isn't rocket science, but it's vital to the life of new believers in the church. We also learn from this passage, that changing our attitude is an act of the will. In other words, an attitude change is a decision that we make. We are told to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like Christ in true righteousness and holiness. Paul uses the words put off and put on, which are active verbs. We aren't supposed to sit around and wait for a new attitude to happen. Um, We are to put off our old self and put on our new self. Now, I know that this is not as easy as it sounds, but this is kind of what Paul's talking about here. Um, For the first several years of our marriage, Ron had an old t-shirt that he loved to wear when he got home in the evening um, from work. He had gotten this shirt when he went to a Nazarene youth event called NYC in 1995, okay? We got married in 2007, so when we got married, this shirt was already 12 years old, 
and had clearly seen better days. He's back there rubbing his head. <laughs> I'm sorry, dear. Um, but he, can, um, he didn't want to give it up. It was comfortable. It was worn in. You know how it feels when you have that certain article of clothing that you've worn so much that it is the most comfortable thing that you own? That was this shirt for Ron. He continued to wear that shirt in the evenings, and he didn't care that there were so many holes in it that it was practically falling apart. It was comfortable. That is what our old self is like. It's comfortable. It's Ron's ratty old t-shirt. Okay? <laughs> However, you know, and that's what we have to, you know, the nice thing about the ratty old t-shirt, we know what to expect with it. You know, we know when we put it on, we know where all the holes are. You know, we know what not to touch so that it doesn't fall apart. Um, but here's the thing. We have to get rid of the ratty old t-shirt. We have to stop wearing it. We have to put on the new shirt that reflects the work that God has done in our life and will, and will project the image of him on us or through us. Ron is no longer that young high school graduate. He now wears the clothes that reflect who he is, a professional. In the same way, we have to put off the way that we used to live and put on the new image created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I also want to make sure that you know that the act of putting off, as Paul refers to it here, is something that we're only supposed to do one time. We only need to do it once, and then it excuse me, should be done. When we become followers of Christ, the old ratty t-shirt, our old attitudes, should be put off permanently. Now, you may be thinking, well, this is all well and good, but what should my attitude look like now? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. As it happens, Paul continues and tells us what our new attitude should be. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
An important thing to note when understanding Paul's words here is that he is talking to people who are already part of the body, meaning the church. This is how we are supposed to treat each other within the church. Here at Joliet First, we talk often about our mission and vision for reaching the community outside of this building. But I want you to know that that mission and vision will not come to fruition if we don't have the right attitude toward those inside this building. Our mission and vision are directly impacted by our attitude toward others in the body of Christ. Get that? I want you to hear that again. Our mission and vision are directly impacted by our attitude toward others in the body of Christ. So, what do we do? Well, Paul gives us several things that mark the life and attitude of someone who has put on the new self. The first thing is that we will speak to each other truthfully. What a concept. Now, Paul here does not even feel the need to expound on what it means to speak truthfully, and neither will I, except to say that just because something is the truth doesn't necessarily mean that it should be said. I think you all know what I'm talking about. However, I'm going to expound on that a little bit more later. Um, Next, we are told, in your anger, do not sin. Did you know that Christians get angry? Anger is a natural human emotion, and Paul assumes that people are occasionally going to get angry. What is important is how we respond when we are angry. When we allow our anger to get out of control, we are going to say and do things that do not reflect our new image in Christ. So, how do we respond when we are angry? We are told, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. This means we have to deal with our anger immediately. We cannot allow our anger to go unresolved. Those who do not deal with their anger allow their anger to control them. Those who do not deal with their anger allow their anger to control them. The anger starts to fester like a wound that hasn't been cleaned effectively, and eventually we will become bitter, angry people. Unresolved anger will mar the new self that we have put on. Instead, we must be quick to resolve issues. Paul also tells those in the body that they must do something useful with their own hands. Now, I can already hear some of you saying, but I'm not good with my hands. I'm not artistic. I can't play an instrument. I'm not crafty. I can't build things. I can barely even swing a hammer. That's okay. Fortunately for you, That's not really what Paul is talking about here. Instead, he means that everyone in the church must work to support themselves, and by doing so, they will be able to support the work of the church. Being part of a community of believers is not about just coming and sitting in a pew once a week and expecting others to serve you and feed you. 
in, this is not a restaurant. Instead, it's about being an active part of the work of that community. It means becoming invested by being part of a community group, which is what we call our small groups here. It means being willing to mentor someone. It means volunteering once a month at Hope Closet. It means being a part of our first impressions team or being part of the team that takes care of babies and toddlers in the nursery. We have multiple opportunities for you to work in our community. Now at this point, this is when Paul really gets down to the nitty gritty. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. See, I told you I was going to come back around to the subject of our, the way we speak and our mouths. Now, when Paul says unwholesome talk here, he's not just talking about gossip, although that is part of it. Sometimes there is just so much more to it than that. Sometimes there are things we want to say that are the truth, but that doesn't mean they should be said. Instead, we are to look for ways to speak truth into people's lives according to their needs. In other, way, in other words, look for ways to encourage people according to what they need as opposed to to your own needs. Guess what? Life in the church is not about you. It's about building others up, and by doing that, building the church. Building others up according to their needs requires getting to know people in the church so that you know what their needs are. If you notice that someone needs to be encouraged, don't wait for a pastor or a church leader to encourage them. You do it. Take them out for coffee. Write them a note. Send them an email or a text. Take the time to notice when someone does something well and let them know that you noticed. Take the time to pray for your church leaders, but don't stop there. Let them know that you're praying for them. Even better, ask how you can pray for someone so that you're building them up according to their needs. I love what N.T. Wright says about this verse when he says, your tongue gives you the opportunity to bring God's grace to people by what you say and how you say it, and it's a shame to pass up this chance. Your tongue gives you the opportunity to bring God's grace to people by what you say and how you say it, and it's a shame to pass up this chance. Just think about that. You have the opportunity to bring God's grace to people by what you say. Don't pass up those opportunities. We are also told not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I'm sure that many of you are wondering what on earth that means. Actually, it's pretty simple. When Paul uses the word sealed, he is using the same word that is used for an official stamp on a document or a package. It is this seal that sets something aside for a particular use or occasion. 
It's like when I married Ron and he placed these rings on my hand. These are a sign and a symbol of the covenant that I made with him that I am set apart for only him. In the same way, when we become followers of Christ, the Holy Spirit puts his mark on us and we are set aside for a purpose to reflect the image of Jesus. The mark of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our community declares that we have been bought out of slavery by the blood of Jesus and that we belong to God. Imagine then, if we bear this seal, how we must break the heart of God when we don't reflect his love and grace back to a lost and dying world. Several people have complimented me recently for being a gracious person. Can I just be honest with you right now? That is not me. That is the mark of the Holy Spirit in my life. Without him, I am not a gracious person. I am exactly the opposite. It is God's work in my life that allows me to show grace to others. So, what do I want you to do with all of this? Well, everything that I have just talked about boils down to two words, kindness and love. We are told, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. You know, sometimes I don't think that we talk about kindness enough in the church. Kindness is one of the best ways to imitate God. One of the best ways to imitate God. We just finished a series that dealt with our misconceptions about God's character, and what we learned is that God is kind. He is full of grace and truth. He is not always losing his temper with us. He encourages and builds us up according to our needs. He does not treat us as we deserve, but instead forgives us. Can you imagine what our community would look like if we treated each other with the same kindness that we have received from God? Well, let's stop imagining how our community would look and begin to treat each other with the same kindness that we have received from God. Let's begin walking in the way of love. How do we do that? We follow the example of Jesus. He gave himself up for us. We follow the example of Jesus when we forgive. We follow the example of Jesus when we put the needs of others before our own. We follow the example of Jesus when we offer ourselves in service to God in whatever way he leads. And let me tell you, that's quite a ride. Never in a million years did I think I would be standing up here teaching like I am. 
but when you offer yourself up in service to God, you follow whichever way he leads you to go. And it might be a little uncomfortable sometimes, and that's okay. Wearing new clothes takes getting used to. So, we always have challenges, so I have a challenge for you this week. Here it is. Walk in the way of love. So here's the challenge within the challenge that will help you to complete the challenge. (laughs) Can I say challenge a few more times? Probably. Memorize Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I can't think of a better way to be reminded to walk in the way of love than to have this verse implanted in your mind and heart. Can I tell you that this verse has been implanted in my mind and heart probably since I was like two or three years old because my mom used to sing it to me. She would sing it to me whenever my sister was starting to annoy me and I would start to be less than kind and compassionate to my younger sibling. And she needed to remind me to be kind and compassionate. So, if you want to learn that song to help you memorize it, come to me later. I'll teach it to you. (laughs) So this is now your opportunity to respond. We, um, the reason that we participate in this meal called the Lord's Supper is that we are showing that we want to walk in the way of love and follow the example of Jesus with our lives. So if you're helping to serve this morning, would you please come forward? And let's pray as we prepare to respond. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you that when you come into our lives, you make us new and whole, that we do not have to be the old way that we were anymore. We thank you that we can put on new selves and become new creations. Lord, we pray that we would be a people who are known for kindness and known for walking in the way of love. Help us to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as in Christ you forgave us. We ask that you would bless this time now as we respond. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.